0: To share with you uh, just a small portion of God's word and be a speaker in your your summer series on building balanced believers. Um, That's a very good theme. Obviously, I have um, looked over the the lesson topics and the speakers, and I'm sure um, that they have been part excellent uh, up until this very present moment, and we pray that we will continue in that route. But if you have your copy of God's Word, we'll consider a few passages for this evening as we deal with the idea of building better believers through study. It's important for us, first and foremost, to understand why we study. Being balanced in this life, in this world, um, is extremely crucial for God's people um, because there are so many things vying for our attention, there are various voices that are competing for our time. mean um, they may not necessarily be things of the world uh, regarding um, anti-Christian uh, sentiments or anything of that nature. Um, it can be family. It can simply just be job. Um, it can be extracurricular um, responsibilities. Uh, 21st century westernized Christianity. Christianity. Looks very much different than than first century Christianity. Um, we live in a different time. we live under different conveniences, we live under different comforts. Um, we live under different governmental structures. Uh, we have um, wealth uh, beyond likely what this world has ever known um, regarding a national um, observance of wealth and so 21st century Christianity, again, looks looks very different from 1st century Christianity. And so the need to balance our lives with study is extremely important. And one reason why balancing our lives with study is important is because the God of heaven has revealed himself to mankind in a few ways. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, you know the passage, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is neither speech nor language where his voice is not heard. So God has revealed himself to us through nature. Man could never know what that God would require of him uh, simply by observing nature. Though Romans chapter 1 verse 20, if we simply just had nature, man would be without excuse. However, the God that we serve... Um, is gracious he's loving and god said well they could know that i exist through nature but they would never know me they would never know what i would require and expect of them and so in psalm 19 verse 7 and following the law of the lord is perfect converting the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise and simple the statutes of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandments of the lord are pure enlightening the eyes and so God has revealed himself to man through nature, but he has also revealed himself to man, his mind, that is, through his word. Now, he could have stopped there. That would have been enough. God said, I'm going to take it a step further. I am going to become them. In John chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus would say that no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father have declared him. The word declared there would be the word that you have likely heard um, because you have two great preachers here. You have likely heard the word exegesis or exegete. This is where we get the term from the word declared. That word is exegiomai and it means to show out. So what Jesus literally did for us, being deity himself, was showed us God. He showed us exactly who God is, how God acts, how God operates, how He reacts, how He loves, how He acts in certain situations. He showed us. And so God gave us nature. We can look at nature and determine that God exists. God gives us his word and we can know what God will require of us. But then God said, I will become them. And so they would intimately know me. The reason that study is so important is because through study, we get a deeper understanding of the God that we serve. Consider Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, Spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken us by his son. God has spoken unto us by his son. The question would be, well, then how does his son speak to us? Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so it is through Study. Man can balance a life, especially in the 21st century. We can balance our lives and the expectations and the demands that weigh on us very heavily. We have to balance that with study in order for us to truly intimately know the God that we claim to serve. And so it is through study that we can balance our lives as Christians because Study helps us prepare in this life for the one to come. Second Peter chapter one verses three and four, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Notice what Peter said there, according as his divine power, had given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Where do we get knowledge of him? That is Jesus. Where do we get knowledge of Jesus? Did someone wake up one day and say, hey, there must be a guy named Jesus who just happened to be the son of God who died for my sins. No person woke up one day and figured that out. God revealed that. And it's because of that we can escape. I want you to notice. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to chapter 1, verse 4. Now, I want you to notice what Peter says here. It is by knowledge of Jesus Christ. right? We have everything we need for life and godliness. In this knowledge, wherein are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature... Take note here. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. What is in this world waiting on us? What's in this world waiting on you and me? Corruption. Lust. That's what the world has to offer. That's all the world can offer. First, John two, 15 through 17. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's all the world can ever offer you. It always and certainly promises that which it cannot deliver. Just notice the conversation that Jesus has with Satan in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Just notice the conversation there. Uh, uh, Satan promises to give him all the things, and and he's not going to deliver on that, obviously. The world only promises that which it cannot deliver, but when we study God's word, we can escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. It balances us. Through study, we become, or the potential, we have the potential to become that which God has in His ideal for His creation. Obviously, God created us and He's omniscient. That goes without saying. God knew before we were ever created that we would fall short and sin. We, uh, we understand that when we consider the book of Ephesians, which would be the exalted state and nature of the church, the body. Colossians will be the exalted state and nature of the head, the Christ. Right. And those are 20 epistles. Ephesians, the body. Colossians, the head. Right. Ephesians, the church of Christ. Colossians, the Christ of the church. But when we consider Ephesians, we understand in chapters three, verses nine through 11, that the gospel plan of salvation was in the mind of God since before the beginning of the world. However old God is, that's how old the gospel plan of salvation is. However eternal God is, that's how eternal his plan is. It's his eternal purpose, which he purposed through Christ Jesus. Eternal means eternal. God had planned that since before the beginning of the world. He knew he was sin. However, God has an ideal for man through his every book of the Bible from Genesis chapter one, verse one to Revelation twenty two twenty one. 21, every book of the Bible. You will find this theme, the salvation of man through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's every book. We learn that and we understand that through study. And so it is, Paul would write 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That's teleos, it's complete, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so when we study God's word. We learn of God, balances us. It helps us get an intimate understanding and relation with the God that we so rightly claim to serve. It gives us everything we need in this life to prepare for the next one. And it brings us to a completion of what God's ideal is for his children. That's what the word of God does for us. And so it balances us. But what I've come to realize And and a question that I've been approached with actually very recently was, Eric, can you teach me how to study? And so I've gotten that question. And I've come to realize that even over the course of a Bible study that I had today, with a very religious man who is a preacher in his denomination, and you come to realize that people don't know how to study. If we were ever gain the knowledge that we need in order to balance life, how should we really study? What does it look like to study? What are your study habits? How do you study? When we consider studying God's Bible, I want you to take down three three words. These will be your three points. I'm a three point preacher. Just if you've ever, if you don't know me, and, and I don't know any of you actually. You don't know me. You don't know this. I preach three points. I'm 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 I'm, a, I'm a, I was a math teacher. I'm 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 an assistant principal. Um, and uh, when I was in the classroom, I taught math for 10 years. I'm very analytical. I'm very linear. I'm like, I'm just I'm just very down the page, just line by line. And so I preach three points. And that's the way my my lessons typically flow. Um, but I want you to know three points. These will be your three points. And then. You can do whatever you want to with this lesson. Hopefully, you'll use it and maybe help you have some better Bible study. Now, what I give you this evening certainly is not um, the the template for all Bible study all times. It's not. It's it's what I've come to to realize about those who study the Bible and some things that I could do to help them. Number one, I want you to write down the word survey when you when you study the Bible. You should survey the Bible. And when I mean survey, I mean simply just peruse the Bible on a surface level. Learn basic things about the Bible. The two main divisions, Old Testament New Testament. The four main divisions in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Learn the books of the Bible in order. Learn them. Learn the name of the apostles. Learn who wrote the various books. Learn learn, the, learn the, the, the topics and the themes of each book. Just very basic, just very basic surveying and perusing of the Bible. Read the Bible. Now, when I say read the Bible, I don't mean study. I mean read the Bible. Literally just read it. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, as Jesus has a conversation with the Jews, he asks them a question and he says, Have you not read... The word that Jesus used there is not the word study. He didn't ask them had they studied. He asked them had they read. Well, he knew they had read. The Old Testament was, was their, not only their law and religion, the Old Testament was their culture. It was their custom. It was their birth records. It was their bloodline. It was their school, it was their education, it was everything to them. They had an intimate, the Jews had an intimate understanding and and connection with the Old Testament that you and I at best can be envious of. Jesus asked them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and them that were with him? When he had entered into the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priests. He asked them had they not read that. He didn't ask them if they studied. Anagonostos, actually in the Greek, it means, it means to know certainly. It means to read. He asked them, have you read? Or, he goes on to say, have you not read in the law? That on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. He asked them, did they know these things? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he would go on to explain. Because they accused his, his disciples of picking grain and eating on the Sabbath day. And he's trying to help them understand that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbaths were made for man. And so he says, my disciples have not transgressed your traditions. He asked them simply, have you not read? He didn't ask them if they studied. He asked them if they read. They had read. They had read the law. They knew the law like the back of their hands. We need to read. We have to read the Bible. There is no magic bullet. I'm sorry. There is no shortcut. There is no other way than to open this Bible and read it. Reading does several things for us. Review and repetition is the mother of all learning. Always understand that. Review and repetition is the mother of all learning. If you read the Bible and read it and read it and read it again, guess what? It doesn't change. I know that's mind blowing. Bible doesn't change. So when you read it, you'll become more familiar because there are parts that you read the first time that you won't have to reread again necessarily. Something new will grasp your attention because you already know what you previously read. And so as you read and read and read, and this again is different than studying. But if you read, you become more familiar. Why? Because the Bible teaches. You learn when you read. There is brain research that proves that. Reading helps. Uh, it helps. It, it, It helps against memory loss. Simply reading, just reading, can help prevent memory loss. In John 6.45, in John 6.45, Jesus said, it is written in the prophets. They all shall be taught of God. And every man that heareth And that learneth of the Father cometh unto me. It is written in the prophets. So Jesus points to the Old Testament and said, It is written, and any person that hears it and learns it, how would they learn it by reading it? Then that person will come to me because they will understand that I am the Christ. I am He, which was spoken of in the Old Testament. Luke 24, 44. Jesus said that everything in the Old Testament must be fulfilled concerning Him, according to the law of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms. The three divisions of the Hebrew Old Testament. Reading familiarizes. It, it, it provides learning and understanding. In the age of miracles. In the age of the miraculous. In the age where many wonderful works were being performed. Even Paul would do works that were not uh, common works. Uh, people would be healed by touching a piece of Paul's cloth. That actually wasn't even attached to him at the time. Even during this age. Guess what Paul would write to the Ephesians in Ephesians three, four, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. How important is it to read the Bible? Yes, we got to put the phones down. Yes, we got to turn the TV off. Yes, we got to get off of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And yes, we have to study. We have to read, that is. We have to read the Bible. There, there, there again is no magic bullet. We read it because we learn. In God's Word, we learn. Again, it promotes memory. I'm reminded of what Paul would tell Timothy in First Timothy chapter 3 verse 14. Notice, notice what, uh, 413, excuse me. 1 Timothy 4.13. Notice what Paul would tell Timothy. Till I come, give attendance to reading and to exhortation and to doctrine. He would tell Timothy, who had had his hands laid on by the apostle Paul, he would tell Timothy, Until I come, you give attendance to reading and to exhortation and to doctrine. You give attendance to those things. It promotes memory. And so the more we read God's word, the more familiar we become with God's word. And I promise you, friends, your life can be balanced as a Christian with study and for study. But that leads us to the second point. So if we survey the Bible, we just, we just peruse the Bible, just read the Bible, become familiar with the Bible, know the Bible. You know, back during the coming out of the restoration movement and Into the early uh, 1900s, up until the middle 1900s, there was a quote that was said about the members of the Lord's church. Now, I wasn't alive at the time, so I, it's hard to verify this. But I've heard there was a quote, there was a quote about us that said we were Bible toting and quoting. That's what they said. What happened? What happened to us? We stopped reading. We stop giving attendance to God's word. That leads us to the second point, setting. How can I make sure that my life is balanced through study if if I don't nurture a proper environment for that study to happen? If I don't cultivate that study with a proper environment, you will never sufficiently study God's word or efficiently for that matter. It just won't happen. It just will not happen. The setting of your Bible study, it takes time. This book consumes the better part of my day, and people ask me, how? I say, how do you do that? Like, you have a secular job. Like, you're an assistant principal. How do you study? It's called sacrifice. It's called getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning where my lovely wife and my two lovely daughters and the dog, me and him, are the only testosterone in the house. Everybody's asleep. It's still dark outside. I put my coffee on. I go to my office. I close the door. And I study. I have to do that before the day breaks. I have to do that before the world wakes up. Because... I want to make sure that I have proper balance. And I know we all do, but it takes sacrifices. Anything worth doing is worth sacrificing for. It is. We understand that in every aspect of life. We will sacrifice for things we want. Nobody has to beg us. Nobody has to twist our arms. We'll sacrifice for the things that we want. It takes sacrifice. If you want to be better Bible students, if we want to have better balance with study and through study, then we will have to sacrifice. I'm reminded... I'm reminded of, of um, just Ezra, and I don't know if you, when you consider just if your setting, because your setting includes your mindset, the mind that you have to study God's word matters. Right? If you don't approach studying God's word with a proper mindset, you won't study properly. And again, I'm, I'm, I think about Ezra 7:10, and the Bible says that Ezra. Prepared his heart. Think about that. The Bible says that Ezra, the ready scribe, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. He prepared. It wasn't just something that he's like, you know what? I think I'll study today. You know what? I think I'll seek God's law today. No. Ezra prepared. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. He prepared for that. Do you recall in the book of Acts chapter 17, as Paul is in Thessalonica and he establishes the congregation there over three Sabbaths. He's there for three weeks. And then the Judaizing teachers, they persecute Paul and run him out of Thessalonica. Well, he goes to Berea and you'll remember this. While in Berea, he is preaching in the synagogue and the Bible says, or Luke records for us in Acts 17, 11, he says, And these were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You see what those in Berea did? They, 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 they received the word in all readiness. Their minds were ready. Ezra prepared. His heart, this wasn't just by happenstance. this wasn't sporadic. this was on purpose, and it was intentional, and so it will be better Bible students. It has to happen through intention, just like we're not going to slip up and fall into heaven if you go to heaven you go you got to try to get there. you're just not going to accidentally make it, right. We're not going to accidentally become better Bible students and have a better balanced life and study if we're not intentional about it. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 119? You can call Psalm 119 the Word of God. You can can title that chapter, the 119th Psalm, the Word of God. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 15 and 16. He says, I will meditate in thy precepts. I will, that is intention. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Notice the force, the intent. I will, I will, I will. In order for us to properly study God's word, have proper balance, we have to have a ready mindset. An intentional mindset about diligently studying God's word. Not at the absence of reading. Those are two different things, by the way. Reading and studying are two different things. And they're both needed. We talk about balance. We have to have balance. With reading and studying. For gospel preachers, that's hard for us. It's hard for us to just read the Bible. Because every time we read one word, our mind starts writing sermons. We start writing sermons. It's hard for us to read. But I try. I try to make sure I read the Bible and not just study all the time. What about prayer? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Do you pray when you study? Yeah, you should. Pray without ceasing. Right? Certainly that includes study time, doesn't it? I would imagine so. Pray without ceasing. Actually, what Paul says there grammatically, the force of that passage would be this. The life of the believer should be such that prayer is never, never out of place. That's, that's, that's really what Paul is saying there. He's not saying pray 24-7, 365. I mean, you've got to sleep. You know, you, you can't pray all the time. Certainly that would include our study time. What about what about uh the time of day? Again, the time of day matters, the place matters. As I stated earlier, my time of day is four o'clock in the morning in my office by myself, no distractions, no phones, no televisions, no nothing. I think Jesus did that. Mark 135. The Bible says in that um, in the morning he rose a great while before day. And he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. In the morning, a great while before day. I think our Lord set that precedent. And if you're anything like me and you've had a long day, it's hard to study at night. Right? Instead of me reading my Bible, my Bible reads me because I've fallen asleep in it. The morning time, we're refreshed, we're up we have our energy our minds are clear we're not exhausted from the days burdens and so that's a probably a proper time to study so we survey then we consider the setting but then finally we study uh, if you notice that again reading and studying are two different things when Jesus and you can and you can you can you can search the New Testament, you can search the gospel accounts, Jesus' earthly ministry, and you can and you can even do you can take any reliable, you know, Bible search app on your phone or or any um, concordance or however you do word searches and you can search the word read. Right? You can search the word read or have you read um, and you can you can look at that word and and you'll see that it's not study. The word is not study. But then there is this aspect of study that is not reading. In First Timothy four fifteen, Paul would tell Timothy, notice the exhortation, meditate. That's not just reading. Meditate. That is thoughtfulness. Diligently thinking upon. That's what meditate means. Meditate upon these things. Watch this. Give thyself wholly to them. I know people that study. Don't you know people that study? Doesn't it just emit? Like, don't they just, they exude it, don't they? You know when people have studied their Bibles. Notice what Paul was saying in the latter part of that verse. That thy profiting may appear to all. You know when people study. I know when people study. Ten seconds of talking to a Christian, I can know whether they study Now, some of you won't talk to me tonight. I mean about biblical things is what I'm saying, not not just casual conversation, but about biblical topics. Study is different than just reading. And so we understand that. We understand that studying is different than just reading. Paul said, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. You have to wrestle with the scriptures, not in a bad way. Some did to their own destruction, second Peter chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen. I understand that. I'm not I'm not either they wrestled with Paul's writings as they did other scriptures to their own destruction, is what Peter would state. About Paul's writings, the apostle Paul was inspired, he was an apostle, his writings were considered scripture, the same ones he told Timothy, that they would make God's people perfect, and that Timothy had known from a child the holy scriptures, which were able to make him wise unto salvation. Second Timothy 1 and 6 and 7, or 5 through 7. Again, Timothy is told to give attendance to reading, 1 Timothy 4, 13, to exhortation and to doctrine. This is a young man, I say young, relatively young, mid-30s, when he would receive these letters from Paul as he was preaching in Ephesus. During the age of the miraculous, when he had had his hands laid on him by the apostle Paul. Paul not only tell him to give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, meditate upon these things, give thyself holy to them, that thy property may appear all. But in Paul's very last letter of his life, very last letter, 2 Timothy, chronologically speaking, before he dies, Paul's very last letter. He writes the four prison epistles in Acts chapter 28, by the way, as he's under two years of house arrest in his own hired house. He writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In the letter to Philemon, and which was actually delivered by Trophimus and Onesimus, because the church at Colossae was meeting in Philemon's house, he receives two letters, one to the church, Colossians, one to Philemon, personal. The personal letter to Philemon states that Paul clearly saw himself being released from prison he tells Philemon, I will come and lodge with you when I'm released. I will come and lodge with you. Prepare for me a room. However, in 2 Timothy, it's a bit more bleak. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, excuse me. 2 Timothy is a bit more bleak. Paul would die after that epistle. But notice what Paul writes. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. Study to show thyself approved. This is to a young man who has had his hands laid on by the Apostle Paul, which implies that he likely could perform miracles. But he is told to study. Now, if studying is good enough for a young man who may have been able to perform miracles, how much benefit do you think study would be for us? How much balance do you think it would bring to our lives as Christians living in this world that is Antichrist? This world is opposed to God at every turn. If God says go right, the world says go left. If God says go up, the world says go down. If God says go forward, the world says goes backwards. If God says you're a man, the world says you're a woman. If God says you're a woman, the world says you're a man. This world is opposed to God in every shape, form, and fashion. It is isn't common upon us that we be diligent Bible students to balance ourselves in this world and for our own sake. How do you do that? Again, we, we've talked about some settings and reading the Bible, studying the Bible. You do that by... By diligent studying. Oh, remember this. If you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't get anything else from Bible study, being knowing how to study the Bible, here's one thing I would leave you with. A text out of context is a pretext which leads to error. Always remember that. When you are studying God's word, the context is the very place you start. Always. The context of, of the Bible. The context of the book that you're reading. The context of the chapter in that book that you're reading. The context of the verse in the chapter of that book that you're reading. Study helps. It may take, you know, some, some study helps. You definitely need a dictionary, right? You need a dictionary. I taught math. I don't know no English. I don't know no English. I need help in that regard. Being diligent Bible students certainly will bring good balance. Has to. Has to God's word is perfect. And He gave it to us that we might grow. Remember, Peter said, desire the sincere milk of the word, first Peter 2, 2, that you may grow thereby. It brings balance. With our last few minutes, the lesson is yours. We're going to extend the invitation at this time. If you are, if you are visiting with us, don't hold our religious convictions. As the Lord's Church, we plead with you to ask us a Bible question. We will certainly give you a Bible answer. We are, we are people of the book. Book chapter verse is what we believe in. Um, we attempt to speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where the Bible is silent. We simply want to do what thus saith the Lord as we find in the pages of inspiration. And upon the pages of inspiration, 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, John says it better than I ever could. He said, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and and that you believe in the name of the Son of God. He said, the things that are written are written that we may know that we have eternal life. Friends, if you're not a member of the Lord's church and your eternal life came different than ways that were written in this book in the New Testament, then you need to question that. The next logical question would be this. What is written? What is written? This is the God that we serve. If God tells us to do a thing, he will never leave us ignorant on how to do that thing. If God tells us that, that it's written, eternal life is written in this book, guess what God is going to do? We'll be able to find it in this book. If eternal life comes by the things that are written, you can best believe we'll find it written. And what do we find written? We find written that we have to hear the gospel. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I have to have faith, but how do I get faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What do you need to hear? You need to hear that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. That is the gospel. Or at least that's what Paul said it was in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul said, "Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I have preached unto you, which you have received. Uh, where you stand by which also you're saved if you keep in memory that which I've preached unto you unless you have believed in vain for I deliver unto you first of all that which I have received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures friends that's the gospel you have to hear that and then you must believe it John 8 Jesus said you shall die in your sins for if you believe not that I am he you shall die in your sins. You must repent of sins, have a change of mind towards sin based on godless sorrow that results in a change of lifestyle. Luke thirteen three through 5, Jesus said, but I tell you, nay, except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. You must confess the sweetest name on mortal tongues that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the son of the living God. Matthew ten thirty two and 33, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. Him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So you must hear the gospel, believe it, repent, confess, and then finally you must obey the gospel. That's the final act. Obedience to that gospel message. But the gospel message, Mr. Preacher, is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I obey that? Those are facts. I believe it, but how do I obey facts? Well, the gospel is more than just uh, a good news that Jesus Christ. It, it, it provides salvation. It, it must be obeyed in similitude. Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So we have to obey the gospel or Jesus Christ and his mighty angels will take vengeance on us. We know that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day according to the scriptures. If we don't obey that, then Jesus Christ and his angels will take vengeance on us. And again, if God tells us to do a thing, he won't leave us ignorant on how to do that thing. If God tells us to obey the gospel, he's going to tell us exactly how to do it. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Know you not that it's many of us that were baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. Remember, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. That must be obeyed. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. How do I do that? Romans 6, 3, and 4. Being baptized into his death. We are buried in baptism with Christ. And that through baptism we rise with Christ to walk in a new life. Well, Mr. Preacher, have I obeyed the gospel? Yes, you have at that point. Mr. Preacher, does the Bible say I have? Yes, it does. Actually, in that same chapter, Romans chapter 6, Paul hadn't changed his thought. In verse 17, he said, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but have obeyed. How they obey? By being baptized. By dying with Christ, being buried with Christ, and rising with Christ. Now he writes in verse 17 of that same chapter, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, past tense, but have obeyed from the heart that form Tupos in the Greek, it means pattern. That pattern of doctrine which was deliver you. What was the pattern of doctrine that he delivered? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The death, the burial, the resurrection. That's the pattern. That's the doctrine. That's how you're saved. That's how you obey the gospel. And friends, 1 John 5, 13, that's what's written. A mourner's bench is not written. A sinner's prayer is not written. A manifestation of tongues is not written. Belief only is not written. Those things are not written. Asking Christ to come into your heart is not written. The Lord himself, upon those consummating acts of salvation, the Lord himself will add you to the only church you can read about in this Bible, the church of Christ. Make no mistake about it. Ephesians 4 and 4, there is one body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, the church is the body. If there is one body and the church is the body, then there's one church and that's of thus saith the Lord. And the Lord himself will add you to that one. Not some man-made, fabricated, manufactured body. His body, the only one in which he is glorified. Ephesians three twenty and 21. Christ only receives glory in his church, friends. If you're not a Christian, that's how you become one. That's all it makes you. It just makes you a Christian. doesn't make you a denominationalist. doesn't make you anything else. It just simply makes you a Christian. If you are a Christian, you find yourself a guilty distance away from God. Through seven meditation study, pray, you've come to a knowledge that you have fallen short of God's glory. You need to get back in step with God, Amos 3.3. 3. Then you can repent of those things, confessing that church will pray for you. Whatever the case may be, if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, will you come as we together stand and sing?